0: This is the Bluegrass Beat Podcast. News, training, and first-hand accounts from Kentucky's leading law enforcement professionals and instructors. And here's your host, Cridley King Smith.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Bluegrass Beat. I'm Cridley King Smith. We have spent much of this season focusing on reflecting and celebrating DOCJT's 50th anniversary. Without question, one of the most important moments in DOCJT and law enforcement history was the introduction of the Peace Officer Professional Standards, known to many of us as POPs. The standards, which include physical requirements and suitability screenings, marked a turning point from the good old boy days to a professional, galvanized police force capable of protecting their communities and working together across agencies, when and if needed. Joining me to discuss the creation and impact of POPs is arguably one of the most influential to its inception, former commissioner of the Department of Criminal Justice Training, John Bizak. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Can you break down POPs for us?
0: The process for Peace Officer Professional Standards uh, originated in 1996 with Governor Paul Patton. Uh, He was seeking a way to consolidate not only the training of police officers, but all law enforcement officers in Kentucky. And to centralize it in such a way that they walked away with the same training so that if there was uh, a mobility between police departments, one police department would not have to retrain or one police department would not have to go through the expense nor the cities or counties of providing that training. The uh, skeleton for the process was already in place through the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council, and uh, the funds that were generated uh, since the late 70s for law enforcement use uh, through CLEF Fund. So it was a matter of how those funds were used, uh, legislatively ensuring that there would be some consensus among all law enforcement, all cities and counties in the state, on how law enforcement would come together for such training and then determining what that training would be. Uh, Several police departments had some academies Uh, State Police, Louisville and Lexington, other departments uh, sent their employees to Richmond to the Department of Criminal Justice training, but the training was different. It started out with three weeks of training in the 70s. It advanced to six, then I believe to 10, then 12. By 2015, we were at 24 weeks, and it was a long process to get there. Uh, But it started in 96 with Governor Patton.
1: Can you talk about the profession prior to 1998 uh, when POPs was enacted and how the idea of this set of standards came about for for you all to get involved?
0: The standards for Kentucky were minimum. There was an age limit, uh, age requirement. Uh, There was a high school diploma required, an honorable discharge from the military if you served a citizen, a driver's license. uh, They were very minimum qualifications. Now, some departments had increased their Uh, requirements. But not all agencies had. So the idea was universalize the the concept. Getting there became a process of pulling together the associations that represented police in Kentucky, uh, as well as the legislature, paternal order of police, uh, virtually representatives from any association affiliated with law enforcement. And that brought in the county judges, that brought in mayors, uh, that brought in several people from Frankfort, It was about a year and a half process of meetings hammering out the issues of how to arrive at something that was structured in a way that was fair to the communities, didn't cost all the communities the money except for the time that they paid police officers to be in the academy. As that process grew, the CLEF fund uh, was found capable of funding everything, including the expansion of the training facility in Richmond. There were about four drafts to the legislation. We had, um, I believe it was 18 sponsors for the legislation. Uh, It was introduced and it still was massaged after it was introduced between both houses. But what we walked away with were standards that were higher than had ever been achieved in Kentucky. And it uniformed the qualifications to be a police officer, which importantly brought in the sheriff's departments across the state. And with 120 of them, uh, there was some concern because these were uh, elected officials right. who ran the sheriff's department. Many times when those officials either had longevity, they would keep the same deputies. Uh, sometimes when they changed, uh, all new deputies came in. And the qualifications for being a deputy were uh, pretty minimal. Um, the FOP had their own concerns, thinking that this was going to uh, perhaps too universalize. Standards and cause existing officers to not be qualified. But there was grandfathering that had to occur. And by the time the chiefs, which was um, actually a whole new corps of police chiefs in Kentucky, and if it hadn't been a whole new corps, it was slowly getting there in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, there was unanimous support when it was finished on, on how we should proceed. And that unanimous support bled over into the legislative influence that got the bill passed. And with uh, Governor Patton's help were two administrations, which he was the first governor to be able to secede himself, and did. So we had a full eight years to get this implemented. And it took eight years to get it implemented uh, and get the facilities expanded to accommodate and to restructure the cliff.
1: How did you all go about creating the standards and deciding on what was necessary uh, as the benchmarks?
0: Well, there wasn't any longer a need for a small group of people to sit down and say, here's what you need. That process never worked, and it didn't work fairly for everybody. Uh, We did what was called a job task analysis, and this analysis involved every police agency in the state. The requirement was to determine what they felt was necessary in the way of training and rank those things so that we could determine if these were selected, how many days, how many weeks, how many hours would be devoted to that specific training before we could say a person was certified to effectually be a police officer in the state of Kentucky. But that took about a year and a half. And those uh, standards is what was incorporated into the police Officer Professional Standards legislation, uh, which included all the background of investigation, polygraphs, psychological evaluation, physical fitness, was a big issue to come overcome and continue training. Because to do this without any follow-up training to keep people updated just as a, a continuing education, uh, there was no incentive. And the big incentive was that CLEF Fund aid officers as much as $2,500 in addition to the salary they were paid to continue those education credits. And that was done through a a fee that was attached to uh, insurance on cars and homes uh, that most people didn't even know existed, and uh, it generated millions.
1: Now, you mentioned that you all had support in getting POPS established. Did you face any resistance? If so, how did you overcome any pushback and gain that support that got it pushed through?
0: Well, the resistance wasn't to the idea of advancing police training culture of policing is where the resistance came from. Uh, Many thought that three weeks was plenty. Uh, We had a contingent who thought three weeks was too much of annual training or just basic training. But the culture itself is the primary determinant of an officer's behavior. So we didn't just assault and attack the issue of more training was being asked for, requested, and uh, liability issues demanded it. We attacked the issue that we had to change the mind of the police culture, and that began with the officers themselves, not necessarily just the chiefs or the sheriffs.
1: And that seems like a monumental task, trying to take on, you know, shifting a culture of an entire profession.
0: Well, it, it was a monumental task, and it remains such. Uh, the culture of over the last 20, 25, 26 years has changed significantly mm-hmm. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they pick and choose now. It's not a profession that anybody can get into. It has standards that must be met in order before you can even be hired. And we have the ability now in the state that if a person is hired and he cannot pass the training, there's still an issue as whether or not a city or county municipality who has law enforcement should employ him. If he can't pass the training, he or she The liability issues are significant, so the training has to increase its um, abilities. The people who do the training have to be trained in a different way to teach a facilitation-style training, and the training has to be uniform every single class. And then there's that expansion of annual in-service training, which no longer can be just updates on what the legislation is, uh, new techniques or what's happening in other parts of the country. This has to keep up with a growing population in a circumstance that wasn't the same in 1998, nor 2000, nor 2010. So if the administrations and the legislature does not support the concept well into the future on the initial principles on which it was grounded, eventually it will dissolve itself and be watered down again. And of course, it all comes down to the funds that support this and the Association of Uh, Counties and the Kentucky League of Cities were instrumental as well in getting this passed, and they can be instrumental and well as dissolving it, too, if it doesn't suit them, because they, too, control the insurance and the oversight of the coverage for municipalities and counties.
1: Uh, Just to go back to changing that culture, was it a slow process, uh, the buy-in from the officers, or did they pretty quickly um, see the benefit to themselves in this change?
0: Uh, I think we can go back and say that historically there was not a lot of resistance from officers. There was a lot of resistance from mayors and county judges Uh, and a lot of political opposition because they wanted to hire someone, get them some quick training, and get them into service and be damned with the training that's necessary to provide an effective police presence in a community. Politicians change slower than the police culture did, and by the time the police culture got it, the chiefs had already pushed for it. Most of the sheriffs in Kentucky were for it. Those who weren't slowly realized that this was their best re-election vehicle as well. It's a better trained department.
1: So how did POPs make Kentucky law enforcement training a leader in the nation?
0: Well, After the legislation, um, we had support from um, the Police Executive Research Forum, National or International Association of Chiefs of Police, and they were very interested on in how this was going to unfold and could a state sustain it financially and actually impact the culture that they knew existed and had existed until, since policing began. Uh, so we had a lot of eyes on us, and we found that the best way to bring about not just an idea in Kentucky was to have the idea itself accredited. And there was only one National Law Enforcement Accreditation Agency at the time, and it was CLEA, the Commission on Accreditation of Law Enforcement Agencies. They had not made it a practice to accredit training institutions, uh, and we negotiated with them on how the principles on which or standards on which they qualified for accreditation of national agencies, how would that apply to a training agency? And they didn't have to rewrite much. There was a lot of training. Uh, inside the Calia standards, Uh, but we decided that we would pursue that just as any agency would to be accredited for somebody, third-party, independent organization to come in and say this organization adheres to the the state-of-the-art and the most professional standards known today in the law enforcement community. Uh, So it took us about a year to get through that process, which is a normal process for police agencies anyway, Uh, and we were the first to become accredited nationally uh, now that did more than us just saying it's slowly working
1: right because you had now. that public affirmation
0: we did and it was a, it was a national affirmation uh, we had agencies uh, from around the country large and small municipalities uh wanting to know how they might just make it happen quickly uh, and our stance was always you can make it happen quickly over about a decade it's not gonna happen quickly. Right. You have to have funding, you have to have commitment and you have to have political support to do this.
1: It's a lot of moving pieces. A
0: lot of moving pieces. It's not just a an administration changing saying, Let's make this happen and suddenly wheels start turning. This was a ground up, and had it not been for two terms of Governor Patton, two term or a term of the next two governors, and the last governor having another two terms, then those periods of time not a sustained intent of the POPs legislation because all the way through it, all the way up to 2015, 16, 17, there were efforts to dismantle parts of it because, again, we go back to the political aspect of cities either not having enough money or wanting more money out of the fund, and that creates the issue that's always going to be there for standards for policing.
1: We talk a lot about how POPs professionalized law enforcement. Can you elaborate on that a little bit further?
0: Well, the problem was never attacked at the right end. Police officers were, in some cases, in Kentucky, still in the 1990s. They were hired, and they were given the equipment, and they were put on the job and rode with somebody, perhaps, who was a police officer for anywhere from a day to a few weeks, and they were turned loose. Now, we attacked the problem from the right end. And that was always the concept, but there was never the political momentum to support that. And the right end is, don't hire them until you meet standards of qualification that are much higher than what they've been since the 1920s, and don't allow them to become police officers and ride with anybody or enforce the law until they are trained through a certified program. And then after they're trained through a certified program, they are required to come back and continue to be certified. That is an issue that is the right end to approach any problem. It's, uh, we, we add it often compared to if you were going to raise an army, and I'm not trying to say police or an army by any means, uh, but if you're raising an army, you just don't get a bunch of guys together and send them into battle without training. And you don't send a bunch of guys who aren't qualified, men or women. You don't send those who are not yet qualified to do the job. And that was the premise of POPS.
1: Can you talk about the role in POPS and standardization that allowed for officers to be able to be called to a scene or an incident and have the same knowledge to work across agencies?
0: The working across agencies, again, goes back to the culture of policing. And it's a necessity in some agencies. And some agencies are large enough. They're self-contained. And they have the entire jurisdiction that they cover. But an example back in that period, uh, let's use the state police. uh, They're spread all over the state they have to work closely with small departments and county police departments and what county police departments are existing. If they are not trained where the state police are trained and they run up on a situation or the local agency runs on that situation and do not have the expertise, they have to wait for the state police, and they usually did. Uh, Today, while many small communities don't have the resources that the state police have, and they still call them for the expertise, uh, they are capable up to a level of whatever their resources allow to handle that investigation, handle that call, handle the the accidents, the traffic, whatever else is involved in their community. State police aren't the only agency now that can handle issues in local communities. It did nothing to degrade the importance of the state police, and it improved the quality of service in small agencies. And most importantly, an officer who is uh, in one area of the state and moves to another and wants to be continuing in his profession, he can go to another department if he's certified already through POPs. He doesn't have to go all the way back through the training. Now the agency may put him through more training to get him acclimated to their own department standards and policies. Uh, but this is transferable. So an officer in one end of the state can go to another end of the state and they still have the basic fundamental qualifications to serve as a police officer.
1: And essentially, it made it a benefit for officers who might try to seek other employment within the profession. It helped the departments have better trained officers. They, they knew the training they were getting. And then by having more trained individuals with the same quality of training, communities were getting better service.
0: Absolutely. And we don't find too many officers uh, who ever came and said, we're getting too much training.
1: Another thing that POPS did was help eliminate the good old boy system. Can you talk about that?
0: Uh, that system's no secret. It had been something in effect in many communities for decades, multiple decades. Larger cities had somewhat outgrown it. During the reform um, period of policing uh, from the 50s forward, there was always an effort to remove politics from from um, policing. The The issue is whether or not the community had the will to do that and how large the department was and what the sources were that supported the department uh, and salaries. Salaries uh, continue today to need to be improved for policing, uh, but they have improved immensely since 1990s and certainly after the POP standards legislation. Uh, I think the biggest thing that helped eliminate perception of good old boy culture in policing is that not everybody who was a good old boy could be a policeman. And if you had to meet standards and cities and counties and were held to those standards, Uh, They had no choice. There was no more just hiring people because they were friends.
1: What made the selection and hiring practices portion of POP so important?
0: Well, without it, uh, it was just a matter of extending training. Uh, If we don't have people who understand and have the capability of performing the training that they're going to receive, there's not much need to give it to them. Uh, At the time, and uh, it's probably increased significantly now, it was a cost of about $10,000 to train one officer through all of the training required. That's a pretty significant investment. to Hire somebody who may not have the aptitude, the skills, or the capabilities to even understand what they're being trained in and then go back to the department and try to apply something that they maybe just barely got through.
1: What made this initiative so important to you? Your name is so connected to the POP standards. Um, What made this something that you wanted to push forward yourself to be part of your legacy?
0: Well, I wasn't particularly looking for a legacy as much as uh, the 25 years I'd spent as a police officer. Uh, I'd had the opportunity to work with not only the agency I was in, uh, but many of the agencies across Kentucky, and importantly, uh, state and federal and local agencies around the country because of the uh, nature of the investigations that I was involved in and the clarity of the lack of training, clarity, political Support or non-political support in police departments was stunning and glaring. Even in our own department, there were examples of men who had uh, been policemen and brought into the police department before there were better standards in the 70s proved to be um, a stain, a blemish on the police department. And was all traced back to qualifications and standards, and some should never have been policemen to begin with. The process, DOCJT, was an opportunity that I was asked to assist with by the governor to develop some concept because Kentucky already had the skeleton to make this happen. It just had not progressed to that point yet. So I I was motivated by just a career of seeing what it should be versus what it wasn't and how it could improve. And we fortunately had the entire skeleton and scaffolding there to do it. It just required a consolidation of effort to make it happen.
1: What was it like to watch all this effort come in to, to this profession that you had devoted so much of your life to and to see these, this progression take place?
0: Well, the most rewarding part was that we brought in so many new people into the department uh, and they advanced into positions of responsibility up through to the executive staff. And many of these people came from police agencies, not just from Kentucky, but around the country. We had people move here to become part of the criminal justice training process. They were highly qualified because they came from departments that already had this, or they were already serving in training capacities in other agencies or in other associations. So the people that we had amassed from about 2000 through 2012, 13, uh, were a very significant core of instructors with high qualifications, to teach high qualifications. But more importantly, we put together a core of people who were genuinely interested in doing something in service or government, an important area, and we were able to consolidate that into one department, and it sustained it for years.
1: What did you feel like was your most significant accomplishment during your law enforcement career? And where would you like to see the profession go in the future?
0: Um, Surviving it, the longevity of both careers, it enough not to be injured or victim of, of things that can happen to police. The highlight is just seeing that policing in the state has improved immensely. And I, I think one of the greatest things about seeing things improve is that people who come into it later don't know what it was like before. So they think the way it is today was the way it's always been. And we see that with a lot of young officers around the state who I, I, I see on a regular basis and have contact with. Some had no idea that at one time barely three weeks of training was all that was required to be a police officer because after going through the extensive training they go through today, we haven't found anybody who says, we need less training.
1: So, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today, John.
0: Certainly. Thank you for asking me.
1: And everyone, thank you for listening. More information about today's topic can be found in this episode's show notes. Remember, you can find us on DOCJT's website under the Training tab, on Apple Podcast, and on Spotify. Until next time, I'm King Smith, and you have been listening to The Bluegrass Beat. We hope you join us again.
0: We strive to make this podcast entertaining and informative, If you would like to reach us with a comment or suggestion, contact us via the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Bluegrass Beat wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Team Kentucky and Department of Criminal Justice Training production.